and turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number 2 in your Bibles. Colossians chapter number 2. And we have been away, but I've tried to make sure that I've prepared for this tonight. And, and so I want to try to help you. This question actually came up in one of the question and answer times. And I wanted to do, do it a little better justice and, and by actually teaching on it in a service. God had already been dealing with my heart about this. And so I want to talk to you about this subject, a biblical view of the Trinity. Uh, a biblical view of the Trinity. So Colossians chapter number two in your Bibles. And when you find your places, if you're able to stand, let's stand out of respect for the reading of God's word tonight. Colossians chapter number two. And look at verse number one, if you will. The Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 1, Paul said, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen in my face or seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality, and power. You may be seated tonight, and um, I'm going to pay attention to my outline a little bit more than I normally would, just because I have so much I want to give you tonight. And, and there's no way that I can, there's no way I can really do this justice in 30 minutes. But we're going to just do our best to get through this, and I'm going to give you a lot of references tonight. And so you want to probably write some of these down. We probably won't have the time to go to all these references. But you can go back and study them out in your own devotions and that kind of thing. And so let me talk to you about the Trinity tonight, a biblical view of the Trinity. And I guess some would even say, what's it matter? You know, what, what's the big deal? You know, preacher, is this really something that, that we ought to make a big deal out, out of? And the, the answer to that is, it really is. It really is something we have to make a big deal out of. And so we're going to talk to you about it. And some of you have heard this before. Others of you have never heard, you've never heard anybody teach on this. And so we're glad you're here tonight. We want to do our best to make this uh, as understandable as we can. And, uh, and so we're, we trust the Lord will uh, speak to your hearts tonight. By the way, let me say this too. Pray for, uh, uh, pray for Jimmy and, and Nellie tonight. And uh, Nellie lost her brother and, uh, and I think they're going to have the viewing tomorrow evening. And I think the funeral service is going to be Friday at t 10 o'clock. 
over here at Taylor Springs, I think. And so, anyway, if you'd like to show your respects, then anyway, uh, I hope that you'll do that. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your blessings. And God, it's a joy and a privilege to be in the Lord's house this evening. And Lord, I thank you for the music. Thank you for the fellowship. Lord, thank you for a time of prayer. And Father, thank you for the music. All that's been done tonight, we just thank you for it. And now, Lord, as we take just a, a, a few moments and gather around your word, Father, I pray this will be a meaningful time. Lord, I pray now that you take my thoughts. And Lord, I pray that you would, you, you would direct my thoughts and help me to be focused. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that we would say something, first of all, that would honor Christ and glorify the Lord. And then, Father, I pray you'd help us to say things that would be a blessing to the church tonight. Lord, things that would edify, things that would build up, things that would, Lord, help us to know what we believe and why we believe it. And, Lord, I don't want these folks just to believe something because, because I say it or because a preacher says something. Lord, I want us to be able to base what we believe on the Word of God. And so, Lord, tonight especially on the subject we're talking about tonight. We, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd help these verses and these passages that we're gonna focus on tonight. Lord, I pray that they would, Lord, that they would come alive and I pray that they would take on a whole new meaning in our lives this evening. And so Spirit of God, fill us now. Forgive us of anything in our lives that could be a hindrance. And Lord, cleanse us and fill us and help us, please, Lord. Give our people strength now to listen. And Lord, we love you and praise you. Ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I want to draw your attention to a few verses that we've already read tonight. Look back at Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul is speaking here to the church of Colossae. And he said here to the church, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. Now, the reason I'm drawing attention to that is because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. In the latter part of verse number two, you'll notice that Paul says this, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. And so what Paul is talking about is a mystery. It's something that the church hasn't quite got figured out. And so Paul is trying to teach on this, the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Then I want you to skip down to verse number seven. And Paul says to the church here, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Now, that's what we want you to be. We want to be established, established in the faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8, Paul says, beware, lest any man spoil, uh, spoil, spoil you through philosophy. Now, whenever you see that word philosophy, it just simply means belief. But the word philosophy here in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8, has a little bit stronger meaning there. It means belief in respect to Jewish traditions. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be spoiled through, uh, through these beliefs in Jewish traditions. And then he talks about in that next phrase, after the tradition of men. Again, if you look that up, it means Jewish traditionary law. And then he goes a little bit further and he says, I don't want you to be spoiled through the rudiments of the world. And that, that phrase, rudiments of the world, it basically means principles, but it means initial principles. In other words, Paul is saying this, this is just how we've always taught it. 
This is what we've always believed. This is what the Jewish community has always taught. And, and so Paul, basically, in a nutshell, Paul is saying this, that we better make sure that what we believe is after Christ and not just something you've always been taught, not just something you've always heard. Now, now that's basically what he's saying. In other words, there were people in the church of Colossae that were saying, well, this is what we've always been taught. And Paul says, what you better make sure of is that what you've been taught is after Christ and not something that you've just always heard. And by the way, that's where a lot of people are. They say, well, I believe this. And when you ask them, why do you believe that? Well, because that's what we've always been taught. But if you ask them, where is it in the Bible? They can't show it to you. And church, I'm going to be honest, that's a problem. And, 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 uh, and you've heard me say this before. I want you to, anything we teach, anything we preach at Calvary Baptist Church, I want you to go home and I want you to study it out for yourself because I don't want you to just take it at face value because the preacher says it. I want you to know it's what the Spirit of God is teaching in his word. Now, there's a specific reason here that Paul is challenging the Colossian church. And also, we notice here that he's challenging the church in Laodicea. Now, the Laodicean church was just right outside of Colossae. And, uh, and so he's, he's writing the, these churches, and he is challenging them concerning the deity of Christ. Now, why is that? And the reason is because they had begun to promote a false doctrine, and that false doctrine said this. It said that Jesus was a created being. And so there were some teachers that began to creep up in the church, and they began to teach this doctrine that, that Jesus wasn't God, that Jesus was, in fact, a created being, which seems to be exactly why we find the following passage in Colossians chapter one. So I want you to turn back to Colossians chapter one and look at verse number, uh, and verse, look at verse number 13. And again, this makes perfect sense if you read it in its context. And so because there are some people that have come into the church, some false teachers, and they're starting to teach this doctrine that Jesus is not actually the son of God, but Jesus is a created being, well, it makes sense why Paul is saying what Paul is saying. First, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter one, verse 13, Paul says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So there's no doubt who the Lord is talking about here. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He's talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Notice this, the firstborn of every creature. Now, brother Tim uh, Brother Timmy asked me this question the other day, and, and I had no idea it was going to work into this sermon tonight. Uh, verse 16, Paul says, For by him, the Lord, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now notice this next line. Paul says, All things were created by him. And so what Paul is saying, Paul is refuting what these false teachers are saying. And Paul is saying Jesus is not only not a created being, but Jesus created everything that there is. That's what he's saying. All things were created by him and they were created for him. And then in verse 17, Paul says, and he, Jesus, is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. Now, some believe this. Some believe that the Laodicean church, 
who, by the way, is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And some scholars believe that we're living in that Laodicean age right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm lean to believe that myself. But some believe the Laodicean church ended up a carnal church. And one of the reasons it ended up a carnal church is because it began to accept this erroneous teaching concerning the Trinity, that Jesus, in fact, was a created being. And so the church of Laodicea began to say this, well, since Jesus was a created being, Jesus is more like us than he is like God. Now, again, here's the thing. Some, some would say, well, you know, preacher, is it really that big a deal that they were teaching that Jesus was a created being? It was a very big deal. And because they began to accept this, it brought error into the church. Now, again, some would say, well, preacher, the word Trinity you know, what's the big deal? Because the word Trinity is not even mentioned in the Bible. And that's true. The word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. But I would, rem I would uh, remind you that the word Bible is not mentioned in the Bible. Uh, or the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. But the teaching of the rapture is. And the teaching of the Bible is. And, of course, the teaching of the Trinity uh, is there. Uh, others would argue that the doctrine of the Trinity is just too hard to understand. Uh, but I want to say, church, that just because a doctrine is hard to understand doesn't mean that we shouldn't preach on it. And it doesn't mean that it's not true. Somebody says, it's just hard to understand. And because it's so hard to understand, preacher, are you sure it's true? Listen, just because it's hard to understand doesn't mean we shouldn't teach on it. And it doesn't mean that it's not true. Now, somebody said this, the Trinity is a mystery, but it's not a contradiction. Now let's let's talk about it a little bit tonight. Let's teach on it a little bit tonight. Now let me uh, let me give you a few thoughts here real quickly tonight. How about this? Number one, uh, just by way of introduction, the Bible teaches of a triune God. So I want to show it to you, though. I don't want to just preach it to you. I want to show it to you. So I want you to take your Bibles. I'm going to have you turn to several places right off the bat here. Turn over to the book of John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, John 14. Uh, and, and I'm going to show you, church, I'm going to show you why this is so vital here in just a few minutes, why this doctrine is so vital. And a lot of churches, man, even some churches that you would watch, a lot of churches are getting mixed up on this, this issue of the Trinity. And so the Bible teaches of a triune God. Now John 14, look at verse number 26, if you will. John 14, verse 26. Now, if you like to mark your Bible, I'm going to give you some words to mark or to circle or to highlight. So this will make more sense to you. John 14, 26. Notice what it says. The Bible says, but the comforter. Now somebody says, preacher, who is that? Well, read a little further. And the Bible tells us exactly who the comforter is. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. So I want you to circle that word comforter. Circle the words Holy Ghost. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Now watch closely. Whom the Father all right, I want you to circle that word, whom the Father will send in my name. The Lord Jesus is speaking here in John chapter number 14. And so we find all three of the Godhead there. We find the Spirit of God, we find our Heavenly Father, and we find the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're all mentioned separately. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send... In my name, Jesus said, he shall teach you all things and bring all, th all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now turn over one page to John chapter number 15. 
And look at verse number 26, John 15 and verse number 26. And I apologize for going fast, but we're going to have to move pretty, pretty rapidly to get through this tonight. John 15, verse number 26. Look at this. The Bible says, but when the comforter, who's the comforter? Holy Spirit, but when the comforters come, whom, look at this, whom I will send. And again, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. But the, the comforter, Holy Spirit, is come, whom I will send unto you, notice the next phrase, from the Father. And then he goes on to say, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So again, we notice here that all three persons of the Godhead are separate. They're separate. Uh, and yet the Bible tells us that they're one. Um, you can turn over real quickly if you want to. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. Again, I'll just, I may have to just give you a few of these to write down. But 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 14. The Bible says the grace, notice this carefully now, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all, amen. If you want to write this down, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 2, you can just jot that down. The Bible says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And so all, and we can give you numerous other verses, but again, the Bible mentions all three persons of the Godhead in a separate way. Yet, the Word of God teaches that all these divine personalities are referred to as God. And so uh, it's not the Heavenly Father is God and then Jesus is something else and the Holy Spirit is something else. No, uh, all three of these are separate and yet they are one and all three are referred to as God. Now I want to show that to you if I could as well. I want you to turn over to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number one. And look at verse number two. Philippians chapter number one and look at verse number two. Again, it's just good for you to see this and so I'm giving you a little extra time to get there. Philippians chapter one, verse number two. The Bible says, grace be unto you and peace from, from who? From God our, from God our Father. And so our heavenly Father is referred to as God. And the Bible says, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippians chapter one, verse number two. Now, turn over to the right just a little ways to the book of Titus. Titus chapter two. So in Philippians one and verse two, God is, is or, or our heavenly father is referred to as God. But look at Titus chapter two, verse number 13. Titus two, verse 13. The Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the What's the next two words? Of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in Philippians chapter one, verse number two, our heavenly father is referred to as God. But here in Titus chapter two, verse 13, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as God. Now I want you to turn back because I just love this scripture. I want you to turn back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter five, and look at verse, uh, verse number three. Acts chapter five, and look at verse number three. And so our heavenly father is referred to as God. The Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as God. 
But notice what Acts chapter 5 and verse number 3 says. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to, notice the phrase here, to lie to who? To lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Why has it remained? Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Watch closely, church. He says here, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto, but unto God. And so in the book of Philippians, we find that our heavenly father is referred to as God. In, in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the spirit of God is referred to as God. So again, they're all three separate, but yet they're one. And so God the Father has his place, the Lord Jesus Christ has his place, the Spirit of God has his place, and yet they're all referred to as God. They're all a part of the Godhead. And by the way, neither, none, none of those uh, are, are subjective to the other. Now, you say, preacher, again, I think the, the argument here is this, what's the big deal? What is the big deal? And so, Calvary, I want to say this. It's not enough just to be close on the doctrine of the Trinity. We've got to be biblical. Let me tell you why. Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there, and it sounds pretty close. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into that trap, and you'll think, well, you know what? That sounds, you know, that sounds pretty much what we believe. And folks, listen, when it comes to the work, that listen, if you want to be close when it comes to horseshoes, that's all right. If you want to be close when you're playing golf, I guess that's all right. But when you're talking about the Word of God, you can't be close. You've got to be right. Yes, sir. Now, for instance, let me tell you what Mormonism teaches concerning the Trinity. The Mormon church teaches that the Trinity consists not of three persons in one God, but rather of three distinct gods. According to Mormonism, there are potentially many thousands of gods beside these. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was, now, now again, listen to the wording here. They believe that Jesus Christ was the firstborn, but it doesn't stop there. They believe that he was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and a heavenly mother. Jesus then progressed to deity in the spirit world. He was later physically conceived in Mary's womb as the literal only begotten son of God, the father in the flesh. Now again, it sounds sort of the same, but it's not near, it's not close. Let me tell you what Jehovah, the Jehovah's Witness Church teaches. Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus was not divine and that the Holy Spirit is an active force and not a person. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is God's only direct creation, the firstborn of all creation. Again, notice the wording here. It sounds really, really similar. He's the firstborn of all creation and therefore rightly entitled to be called the Son of God. However, they believe that as a created being, he is not part of a trinity. Now again, some of the wording sounds the same, but it's very different. And things that are different are not the same. Now, but I want to go a step further. And I want to tell you what a lot of the charismatic and, and maybe not even charismatic churches uh, are teaching concerning the Trinity. It's a very prominent teaching called modalism. 
And, uh, and now, if I mention some of the preachers that are preaching modalism, you'd know who they were. Uh, it, 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 it might be people that you might even watch, people that are good pulpiteers, preachers that could, could keep your attention. But listen to what modalism says. Modalism, modalism uh, says this. It says that, that, I am a, that, that God is one person who took three consecutive roles. Modalism says there is a God who at times became the Son and at other times became the Holy Spirit. Now, again, modalism says there's a God who at times took three consecutive roles. Now, someone says, preacher, that sounds, that sounds sort of right. And it does sound sort of right, but sort of right is not enough. Listen, let me, let me give you this. If God can only exist in one, one form at a time, then what do we make of the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? If the Spirit of God indwells us, and we know he does, the Bible tells us that. If the Holy Ghost indwells us believers, then how can God and Jesus be in heaven? How can God be in heaven and Jesus being on the right hand of the, thr- uh, of the throne of God? If modalism is true, if God only exists in one form at a time, how can Christ and the Holy Spirit be constantly interceding for us before the Father? Which the Bible clearly tells us that that's going on. If God only exists in one form at a time, then how do we explain Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, where the Son and the Father and the Spirit are all three present at one time and yet separate? Now, the reason for that is because modalism is not right. It's not right. The accurate doctrine of the Trinity is this. The Godhead consists of three persons, but one God. Those three persons of the Godhead have always been. Now listen, again, some some of this wording sounds the same, but we have to make sure that we're not close. We have to make sure we're, we're pinpoint accurate. There's never been a time when the Heavenly Father was not present. Nor has there been a time when the Son of God was not present. Someone says, preacher, But how about Bethlehem? Jesus became the incarnation. He became the incarnate son of God in Bethlehem. But folks, I'm gonna tell you something. Before Bethlehem was ever even in existence, Jesus was already in existence. There's never been a time when God the Father has not been. There's never been a time when Jesus the Son has not been present. And I'll tell you something else. There's never been a time when the Spirit of God was not present. Now, let me show you that. Let me show you that real quickly if I could. Turn over to the book of Genesis tonight. Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to look at verse number 1 with me tonight. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost have always been. There's never been a time. That's why. That's why this is some, such a damning doctrine when you begin to say, well, Jesus was a created being or there was a time when Jesus came into being. No, no, no. Uh, Jesus is God and Jesus has always been, even since the beginning of time. In Genesis chapter one, verse number one, the Bible says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, 
The Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Look at this church. And the, and the who? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so God was there, and we find that the Holy Ghost was there at the very beginning of time. Same chapter, Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse number 26. Interesting here, the Bible says in verse number 26, and God said, let... What's the next word? Let us. Let us make man in our, in our image, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created again. Well, in this, in the Bible, great how it's worded. So God, he says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our our likeness, and then verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And so we see the Trinity right here in Genesis chapter number one. God the Father was present, Jesus the Son was present, and the Spirit of God was present. And the Bible says that God made man in his own image. And by the way, you are created tonight in the likeness of a triune God. Everyone here tonight, you're created in the likeness of that trinity. Let me tell you how you're created. You're created with a body, you're created with a soul, and you're created with a spirit. Not only that, but your body's created after his image. You have three, think about this, you have three joints in your finger. Three joints in your arm. Three joints in your leg. Man is created after the likeness of a triune God. Nature is created after the likeness of a triune God. The physical universe consists of space, mass, and time. There are three dimensions of space, length, breadth, and height. There are three phases of matter, solid, liquid, gas. There are three tenses of time, past, present, future. Again, what is that? That is God trying to tell us, listen, I am a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each have their place, and yet they're all one. Now, you say, preacher, I don't understand it anymore now than I did before I came in here tonight. So let me give you just a few closing, a few closing thoughts tonight as we, we go to the house. Number one, the Trinity reminds us, first of all, of our level of worship. Now, I want you to turn over to Romans 11, verses, uh, look at verse 33. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. And let me tell you why we would take a whole Wednesday night and teach on the doctrine of the Trinity. Because the doctrine of the Trinity reminds us of our level of worship. What do you mean, pastor? Well, let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at Romans 11 and verse number 33. And look what Paul says here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Romans 11, verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And Paul says, How unsearchable are his judgments. And look at this next line, church. And his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who is first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. In other words, Paul is saying this. You're not going to figure God out. 
And, and by the way, Paul is probably one of the greatest scholars that ever lived. Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, probably, probably by the time Paul was 12 years of age, he had the Pentateuch completely memorized. The first five books of the Bible, he had completely memorized. Paul knew the word of God, and he knew the law of God. And yet Paul said, church, you're not going to figure this God out. His ways are past finding out. Now, I'm going to tell you something, church. This is one of the reasons that our God is worthy of worship. Because you cannot figure him out. He is too high for my understanding. In fact, I want you to, I want you to, uh, to just, because it's such a great passage, I want you to turn to Job 38. Job chapter 38 in your Bibles. We don't have time to read it all but I would, I would encourage you to later on and go and read the whole chapter, Job chapter 38. What a great chapter it is. And God comes to Job. And notice, what he, notice the message that, Job, that God gives to Job in Job 38 and verse number three. God reminds Job that there are some things that the fallen man will never figure out about an almighty God. In Job 38 and verse number three, boy, God is speaking to Job. And he says in verse three, gird up now thy loins like a man. He said, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. God says, Job, I want you to answer me. Verse four, God says to Job, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Skip down, if you will, to verse number 17. And God says to Job, have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth, Job? And as for darkness, where's the place thereof? That thou should take it, shouldest take it to the bound thereof, and that thou shouldest know the path of the house thereof. Knowest thou it because thou wast then born? In other words, Job, were you there when I created the earth? Or because the number of thy days is great. He goes on to say in verse 22, Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? By what way is the light parted? <laughs> Again, God's asking Job all these questions. Job, where'd the light come from? Hey, Job, where'd snow come from? Hey, by the way, Job, where's the hail come from? Verse 25, who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of waters or a way for the lightning and thunder to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is? On the wilderness, where there is no man. To satisfy the desolate and waste ground or to cause the bud of the tender herb to bring forth. Hath the rain a father? Or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. In other words, God comes to Job and says, Job, tell me if you can figure all this out. And basically God is saying to Job, Job, you're never gonna figure me out. That's what he's saying. Tell me how I form every individual snowflake. Tell me how you get up in the morning and there's, and there's dew on the ground. And then you get up another morning and there's not any dew on the ground. Tell me where the rain comes from. Tell me where the hell comes from, Job. How, were you there when I created all these things? And of course, we know that Job was not, not able to answer. Now, church, I'm going to tell you something. 
this point that I'm preaching right here is the controversy concerning the Trinity. Because men, there are men today who feel like they have to explain all these things. They, they feel like their mind has to, has to be wrapped around it and they have to explain it to everybody. And I'm just telling you, I don't care how great a scholar they are and I don't care how many degrees they have to their, after their name and I don't care how many schools they went to and how many seminaries they went to. I'm just telling us tonight, and maybe this is not the answer that you were looking for, but I'm just telling us tonight that there are some things about an almighty God that you are never going to figure out. We just have to accept it by faith and say, God, I don't understand all that. I don't know where the snow comes from. And I don't understand how you, you individually make every snowflake. And I don't understand uh, how you, you breathe the frost onto the ground. And I don't understand how you're a triune God. And it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And, and yet all three are one. I don't understand all that. But because I don't understand all that, it reminds me of something that I need to worship you. And that's just something, Calvary. If you could figure everything out about him, you wouldn't want to worship him. He is way too big for us to wrap this little pea brain. You say, Preacher, I got a, I got a better brain than you do. You probably do. That's true. And I don't care how big your brain is, there are just some things about God you're not going to figure out. And you know what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, verse number eight? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, you know what? We begin to talk about the Trinity, and we talk about God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They've always been. There's never been a time they haven't been. They've always been present. Three, three individual persons of the Godhead, and yet they're all, all three are one. I don't know about anybody else, but you know what? That makes you want to just fall down and say, wow, what a God. Yes, sir. Man, what a God. He is so great. He is so almighty. I mean, he is, he is so big. And so the Trinity reminds us of our level of worship. How about this quickly? I'll give you these last two just thoughts. How about this? The Trinity reminds us of, our lo- of his love and sacrifice. Now think about it. If the Trinity weren't true, then we wouldn't really know what we know about his love and about his sacrifice. It would be great enough if Jesus had just come to die for us. But when you begin to think about a father giving his only son to die for someone else, man, that's love. Romans 5 verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we all know pretty much that verse, John chapter 3 verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, you think about the Trinity and you think about the relationship that God the Father had with God the Son and God loved you so much and God loved me so much that he was willing to send his only son to come and to die on an old rugged cross for you and for me. Man, you know what that does? It reminds us of love. It reminds us of the greatness of our God, of the mercy of our God. And you've heard me tell this story. Most of you have. And I tell it sometimes. I'll tell it at the Bible schools and stuff. 
about the man who, who ran the, uh, the drawbridge and, uh, and he would put the, the drawbridge down and the trains would cross over the bridge and then sometimes the ships would come through the channel and he would lift the bridge to let the great ships go through. And one night he took his little boy with him to work and, and somehow, somehow that little boy stumbled and fell down into the gears that, that maneuvered that big gigantic drawbridge and that bridge was up as the dad had been letting the ships pass through. And, and so dad was trying to get his little boy out and he was stuck down there and he couldn't get him out. And, and all of a sudden uh, he heard off in the distance, he heard a passenger train uh, coming down the tracks and the bridge was up. And, and the dad knew that if he didn't put that drawbridge down, that, that that train would just run off into the river and, and hundreds of souls would die. And, and so the dad frantically worked to try to free his little boy and he could not. He was caught down there in the gears of that big bridge. And so the dad had a choice to make. He would either, he would either save his son and let that train go off into the river or he would save all those people and he would sacrifice the life of his little boy. And that train got closer and closer and closer and closer and all of a sudden that dad made that fateful decision and he pulled that lever and that, those gears began to churn and that bridge began to go down and it began to crush the life out of that little boy. And that dad, knowing his little son was dead, he watched as that train went safely over the bridge and people were reading their newspapers and sipping on their drinks and had no clue about what that dad, the sacrifice that dad had just made. You say, preacher, is that, is that like what God with, with, did with Jesus? No, not really. Because there's not a one of us who deserved Jesus to come. Amen. And yet God had such great love for you and great love for me that he sent his only son to come and die. And so the Trinity reminds us of our level of worship. The Trinity reminds us of his love and sacrifice. But last of all, we're done tonight. The Trinity reminds us of our leverage in prayer. One of the reasons we're able to come to the, the Heavenly Father in prayer is because of the sacrifice of the Son. Now, Real quick tonight, real quick, I want you to turn just a, a place or two. Hebrews chapter four, we're gonna be done. Hebrews chapter four in your Bibles, and I want you to look at verse number 14. Why is the, the doctrine of the Trinity so important? Because it reminds us of our leverage in prayer. Hebrews four, verse 14. While you're looking, I'm gonna go ahead and start reading. Hebrews chapter four, verse number 14. The Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Look at verse 16. He says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now real quickly, real quickly, I want you to turn back to the Gospel of John again. John chapter 14 and look at verse number 13. John 14 and verse number 13 and, and while you're turning there, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Did you know that one of the reasons that you and I can enter into the presence of God, did you know that one of the reasons that we can go to the throne of grace is because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Look at, uh, look at John, the gospel of John, John chapter 14 and verse number 13. The Bible says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Look, look at the next verse, John 14, verse 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so the Trinity reminds us of our leverage in prayer. We're able to go to God the Father in prayer because of the sacrifice of the Son is what I'm saying. But I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. We have leverage in prayer not only through God the Son, but we have leverage in prayer through the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Bible says that as we pray, the Holy Spirit assists us in our time of prayer? So if a religion says he's a force, he's not a person, he's a force. Well, I'm glad tonight I don't have a force with me. Well, you know, may the force be with you. I don't want, a, I don't want the force to be with me. I want, the, I want the person of the Holy Spirit to be with me. Yes, sir. And did you know our Bible tells us that when we pray, the Spirit of God assists us in our prayer life? Can I at least show you that real quickly and, and we're done? Would you look at Romans chapter 8 tonight? Romans chapter number 8, verse number 26. Preacher, what's the big deal about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Well, we have leverage in prayer because of God the Son. But we also have leverage in prayer because of God the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles and look at verse number 26. Romans 8, verse 26. The Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now we're done. You can close your Bibles. We're done tonight. But I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think the best way to, to illustrate this. And if this, if this has ever been relevant, it's relevant now. Have, have any of you noticed that it's harder than ever to try to get through to somebody on the phone anymore? You, you can't talk to a person anymore. And if you do, we tried it this week. I was trying to call some places this week while we were on vacation. And, uh, and, and after you go through all their rigmarole, you know, then they say, uh, our call volume is excessively high. It's always excessively high. And, uh, and your, uh, your estimated call wait time is 30 minutes, you know, or your estimated call wait time is 60 minutes. And, and I'm just like, click. You ever tried to handle business? Maybe you had a bill to pay, or maybe they're getting ready to turn off your phone, or, you know, you had a cell phone issue. Maybe you lost your cell phone or maybe you're, you dropped your cell phone in some water or something and, you, and you've got to try to get all this resolved. Have you ever tried to, to resolve a matter of business by talking to an automated system? Can anybody else witness about that? When you call them and they, and they say, our menu, listen carefully because our menu has changed. Their menu changes every time. If you speak English, dial one. If you speak Spanish, dial two. If you speak Hungarian, dial, th- I mean, you know, it just goes on and on. And man, you're hitting numbers. And, and, then, and then it'll say, our system recognizes voice, you know, uh, voice. And so you can speak to it. And so uh, they'll say, is, is this Stephen Pope? Yes. I'm sorry, we did not recognize what you just said. 
Could you say it again? <laughs> now, I'm not going to cuss, but I'm going to tell you what, man, if somebody would write one down, I'd sign to it. I, and I mean, honestly, it just gets you, it just gets you so flustered. And after you've been on that thing for about 15 or 20 minutes, I mean, you feel like you could just bite nails in two. And then all of a sudden, somebody picks up. And it's a person. And you're able to say to them, sir, listen, all I'm wanting to do is get my cell phone fixed. And then he says, oh, no problem. I can help you with that. Is that a blessing to anybody else? I mean, all of a sudden you can explain your situation. Listen, this is my deal. I just accidentally dropped my cell phone into the water and I need to get another cell phone right away or we've got a bill that needs to be paid and we were a little close and I need to get it in, I need, I need to pay it uh, over the phone. Oh, sure, no problem. Let's go ahead and take care of that right now. That changes everything. Do you know why the Trinity is so important? Because God, the Holy Ghost, is not an automated system. When you go to the Heavenly Father, thank God, it is a, it's a royal telephone. It goes straight through. And you don't get, ever get put on hold. And you don't have to leave a recording. In fact, our Bible says that the Spirit of God is there with us, helping us. And I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life when you didn't even know what to pray. I've had a few times like that. I've had a few times I went to the Lord and said, Lord, SOS. SOS. I'm going down for the last time. SOS. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. God, I, Lord, I, I just I need a miracle. And did you know the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost of God is our prayer partner? And when we can't word it and we can't pray like we ought to pray, the Holy Ghost says, Father, this is what he needs. Father, this is what he meant. Father, this is what he missed. He meant to pray for this, but he forgot. Father, this is what's going on. Man, isn't that a blessing? And so the doctrine of the Trinity, is it important? Yeah, it's very important. It's important that we get it right. Let's bow our heads today. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, I sure hope I haven't confused people. I sure hope this has made sense tonight. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be, help us to be accurate concerning the word of God. And Lord, help us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Father, we don't base our beliefs just on what a preacher may say or a Baptist may say, God, we base our beliefs on what the Bible says, on what the Word of God says. Father, I'm so glad that I can talk to you through the Son, with the Spirit. Lord, if it wasn't for what Jesus has done, I couldn't speak to you. And Lord, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, Lord, I wouldn't have that ever-present prayer partner. Father, thank you for the doctrine of the Trinity. Lord, I pray that you'll bless in this time of invitation tonight. Lord, it could be there might be somebody here tonight that is lost without Jesus. And I pray if that's the case, I pray tonight they'd come to know the Lord. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 
I wonder how many are here tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you'd say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt, I know that I'm saved and going to heaven when I die. If that's you, without anybody looking, would you just slip your hand up as a testimony? Preacher, I know I'm saved. Praise the Lord. Can I ask a second question? Is there one here tonight, anywhere, who would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I am not sure that I would go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Preacher, please, remember me in your prayers. Is there one anywhere tonight like that? And you'd let me pray for you tonight. You'd just slip your hand up. Anybody? Anybody tonight? Anybody tonight? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? Can I pray for you tonight? Would you stand with us all over the house with heads bowed and eyes closed? Here's what we're going to do, church. I'm going to let Miss Tammy play through a stanza of of this invitation song. I'm going to make my way to the main floor just for a moment. And if you're here tonight and you have a need, any kind of a need tonight, listen, you come. I'll be glad to meet you down here. I'll pray with you about it. If you're watching by way of live stream tonight, we're so honored to have you watching. And there's a number on the bottom portion of your screen right now, 704-327-5662. And if you'll call that number, we have some wonderful, wonderful people that are waiting by the phone right now who would love to take your call. And so I hope you'll call right now. Father, have your way in this invitation. Lord, I don't know the hearts and needs of everyone here tonight. Could be there's somebody that's got a heavy, heavy burden and they just need somebody to pray with them tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll work, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll let go and let God have his way. Father, meet with us now, please, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, and if you have a need, any kind of need, we're here tonight. You come if you need to come. While these are finishing up at the altar, hey church, let's sing this little chorus right before we go tonight. Thank God for that day that he touched us, amen.
Let's sing it together tonight. Ready? He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. And all God's people said, Amen. We're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer. And listen, I hope you have a great week this week. And we'll look forward to a big day this coming Sunday on Mother's Day. I hope